Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're going to read there Paul's just amazing description of love, and that'll help to set, the, set up the thoughts of our study this evening. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's all be reading and studying in the Bible together. It's great to see you tonight. I hope that you've had a good afternoon. It's been a great Lord's Day thus far, and I am eager to dive back into God's Word one more time before we close this day out as we revisit our preaching theme for 2020 on marriage matters. This is a special bonus session in this series. As I was kind of mapping out all of the 12 lessons that I wanted to include in the series this year, uh, I came to realize over the last several months that there's actually more than 12 lessons I want to include. And so tonight is one of those extra lessons. As I do want to talk about marriage from a very focused and unique perspective that maybe doesn't get a lot of individual attention. Tonight we want to give it that attention. In 1 Corinthians the 13th chapter, let's read together here beginning in verse 4. In 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse 4, Paul writes, Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. Back in September of 2011, Pat Robertson created a storm of controversy when on his nationally syndicated television program, The 700 Club, he was responding to a question from one of his viewers who had a wife with Alzheimer's. And Pat Robertson's response to this man was essentially, if your spouse has Alzheimer's, then that makes it okay to get a divorce. Now, if you are stunned that an evangelical preacher would say such a thing, then perhaps you should see the quote for yourself. This is what he said. He says, Alzheimer's is a terribly hard thing. I hate Alzheimer's. It is one of the most awful things because here is this loved one, and they're gone. They are gone. And so I know this sounds cruel, but if he's going to do something, he should divorce her and start all over again. But make sure she has custodial care and someone looking after her. Now, it was at this point that his co-host spoke up and said, oh, but Brother Robertson, what about those vows? What about those vows of in sickness and in health until death do us part? What about that? And so Robertson finished his response by saying, If you respect the vow, you say, Till death do us part. This, Alzheimer's, is a kind of death. Now that's a pretty stunning quote, isn't it? In fact, you could get online later this evening, go on YouTube, and you can find that clip. You can watch it for yourself. But when someone who calls himself a Christian pastor, and I do use that term very loosely, someone who many people look to as being able to express the biblical position on various subjects, including marriage, when that man goes on national television and says, it's okay to divorce your spouse if they have Alzheimer's. You know, just as long as you provide some care and some comfort for that person. But you can divorce that person and start all over. Something about that, something about that is just terribly wrong, isn't it? What happened to the love 
that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 describes. The kind of love that bears all things, that endures all things. The kind of love that never fails. And what happened, as the co-host pointed out, what happened to those vows about till death do us part? What happened to that idea of the things that we said in the presence of witnesses and the things that we promised in the presence of Almighty God about being faithful to one another in sickness and in health? Well, I would say this this evening. There is absolutely no defense for Pat Robertson's foolish and callous comments. There's nothing biblical about what he said and I am embarrassed that people think he is a messenger from God. But I must tell you that the question that he was asked and the answer that he gave, it does provide for us an opportunity to confront a reality that many of us would probably rather not even think about. But we need to think about. What if your spouse got Alzheimer's? What if your spouse got cancer? What if your spouse got Parkinson's disease? What if your spouse was in an automobile crash and became disabled? What if your spouse got some other terrible chronic or terminal illness? What would happen to your marriage if those vows about in sickness and in health were really put to the test? Well, this evening, that is exactly what I want to talk about. So much of what we've talked about in marriage this year, we've kind of been talking about on the front end of marriage. I need to kind of maybe look toward what is possibly, for many of us, going to be something that happens towards the back end of marriage. What's going to happen to your marriage if and when health challenges arise? And of course the reason that I say when is because this isn't just some hypothetical concept. All of us know someone who has had the burden of caring for a spouse with significant health problems. We've seen that here within our own congregation at Lakeside. We've seen that in our own families. We have seen just how trying and how stressful that can be. We've watched the strain that that places on a marriage relationship. But the question before us this evening is, is what are we going to do when the relationship that is being tested and strained by sickness and by illness, when it's not somebody else's, what are we going to do when it's actually our marriage relationship? What do you do when it's your marriage that's being severely tested by the diminishing health of your spouse? This most certainly is not a pleasant topic. But as unpleasant as this topic is, it does give us the opportunity to think soberly about what marriage really is and about what the Bible really teaches and what it means to really be a Christian in the midst of trials. And this evening, what I'd like to do is I'd like to set before you three crucial truths right out of Scripture that I believe will help us whenever health challenges deal our marriage a devastating blow. Are you ready for that? I want to start this evening actually just picking right up where Pat Robertson left off. Or maybe better yet, I want to pick up where Pat Robertson dropped the ball. Because I want to say to you first and foremost as we think about these critical truths, number one, we must believe that Alzheimer's or any other disease, it does not, I repeat, it does not give the right to divorce. Pat Robertson says it does, but Jesus the Christ says otherwise. 
In Matthew the 19th chapter, please. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was confronted and he was asked about divorce. And what I want you to notice here in Matthew chapter 19 is the absolute clarity with which Jesus answers this question. In Matthew chapter 19, I'm reading here beginning in verse 3, we're told in Matthew 19 and in verse 3 that Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested Him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered verse 4, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and that the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Well, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Jesus said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Verse 9 now, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I want you to focus in on verse 9 because what you will see here is that Jesus gives one and only one reason for divorce and it's not Alzheimer's and it's not cancer and it's not any other physical disease and I want to say to you tonight that no preacher can change that even if that preacher has a giant television audience this matter is settled firmly and fully in God's Word which means it does not matter how many different people think that Pat Robertson is right who thinks that he's got some great ideas Jesus says that sickness and disease is not a reason for divorce. In fact, when we read here in Matthew chapter 19, what we are coming to realize is the great links that people will go to to try and find a loophole to get around what Jesus says. Let's just be honest. Most people today don't like what Jesus says in these verses. And furthermore, you should know, People didn't like what Jesus said even in His own day. Would you look at the very next verse? Look at verse 10. The disciples then said to Him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. What Jesus said was considered too strict in His day and time, and it is considered too narrow in our day and time. And as a result, instead of people simply taking Jesus at His word, what people have done is they have constructed and they have come up with all kinds of complex arguments. They've redefined words. They've twisted the text of Scripture, going to get into the Greek and the Hebrew here, etc., etc., so that they can ultimately find a way to do what they want to do. In fact, sometimes people don't even make a big complicated argument. Instead, they just make a big emotional plea. They tell some big sad story that just tugs at people's heartstrings. And they reason that, hey, since this situation is so sad and it's so heartbreaking, well, well, it's okay in this instance to deny what Jesus clearly taught. Has anybody noticed though? Has anybody noticed that when you try to cut yourself loose from Scripture, then everything just becomes entirely subjective? You know, if you can divorce your spouse for Alzheimer's, or Parkinson's, or cancer, then, then who's to say that you can't divorce your spouse for, for bad breath, or poor fashion sense, or a terrible sense of humor? 
One writer said as he was talking about Robertson, he actually said, you know what, you could do this for anything. Pat Robertson talks about how Alzheimer's is a kind of death. Well, what if someone says, my husband plays video games all the time? He's basically left the marriage. It's a kind of death, see? Do you see? Do you see how anything is fair game whenever we disconnect ourselves from the words of Scripture? As God's people, as Christians, we must resist the world's call to try and redefine and alter and change what God's Word says in order to make it fit what we want. What we're going to do is we're going to be the people who simply accept what Jesus says. We're not going to play word games with Scripture. And furthermore, we're not going to try to reinterpret Scripture through the lens of our own personal experience. You know, when I conduct marriage ceremonies, I say things like, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And the reason I say those things is not because it's customary or because that's the traditional thing to do. No, I say those things because they are right. Because they are biblical. Because those ideas, they reflect God's plan for marriage. One cannot abandon one's spouse just because things get tough. What Jesus said in Matthew 19 verse 9, it is not changed by a doctor's diagnosis. And you and I as the people of God, we must allow the voice of Jesus to dictate the course of our lives in all things, but especially here in marriage. Now, that preaches pretty good, I think. You make those points from Matthew chapter 19, and that gets Pat Robertson told off and get to say some things here about the, the unchangeable nature of Scripture. And so, hey, perhaps our work here is done. We can all go home. We all know what to do now whenever you have a spouse who's dealing with health troubles. Well... Hold on just a moment. You preach point number one to the guy who does have the Alzheimer's afflicted wife. And okay, he understands that, yeah, divorce, it's not an option. We're taking that off of the table. But, but now what? He still has a wife who has Alzheimer's. And he is trying to care for her. And that is an enormous challenge. Or what do you say to the lady who has a husband who's got ALS. He's got Lou Gehrig's disease. What do you say? How do you care for your spouse in that kind of gigantic situation? Well, that's the second truth this evening. Let me suggest to you, secondly, that what we need to be doing is we need to be building strong relationships now in preparation for those big challenges later. How do you cope with giant problems of any kind? Well, I believe the Bible is going to tell us that that has to begin with little things. Would you look in Luke 16 with me, please? In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is concluding the parable of the dishonest manager. And he says in Luke chapter 16 and in verse 10, in Luke 16 and in verse 10, Jesus says that one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you want to do something big, where do you have to start? Well, Jesus says you have to start small. Isn't that how it always works? That's how it works in all kinds of things in life. If you want to run a marathon, that's a big race, 26.2 miles. 
If you want to run a race of that magnitude, well, well, how do you do that? Well, somebody maybe would say, well, you, you just start running. You just show up on race day, and they say go, and man, you just go, and you just run the whole thing. You just run that full 26.2 miles. Well, hold on, no, no. no that, that, that's madness. That, that would never work. That never happens that way. Nobody can just jump right in to something that extraordinary. What you have to do is you have to, you have to start small. You run some little races. You do some shorter sprints. And as time goes on, you kind of build up and you go further and you run further and you run further and you run further until finally you are equipped and you are trained and you are prepared to run the full 26 miles. Or you know, how do you run a giant corporation? Somebody maybe says, well, I'll tell you how you do that. You just go straight from running a lemonade stand to being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That's how you do that. You just jump right into it. and You just get in there and you just start bossing people around. No. No, that's not how that happens. Nobody's going to let you do that. Nobody's going to let you assume control of a mega corporation just out of nowhere. No, you have to prove yourself. Got to prove yourself on a smaller scale, don't you? Got to learn some responsibility. Got to learn some management, maybe in a smaller company, and you slowly work your way up. You build some experience so that you are then prepared for bigger and greater responsibility. Are things really any different in marriage? Do we really think that we can make giant sacrifices that Alzheimer's or cancer will call upon one mate to make for their spouse when we haven't even made any small sacrifices all along the way? I've talked with people. I've talked with people recently who have had to shoulder the burden of a sick spouse. And it is, in my observation, it is a colossal burden. And it is one that I am sure I still do not fully appreciate. And after I leave those conversations, I go and I'll visit with somebody. And after I leave those conversations, I'm always left asking myself the question, how do they do it? I, I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know where they get the strength to stick with it and to do all of the things that caregivers have to do. But you know what? The answer, the answer is obvious. The way and the reason they're able to do that is because they've been practicing. They've been practicing serving and sacrificing and giving and doing for their mate for years. They've been doing it in small ways throughout the life of their marriage so that now they are ready, or at least as ready as they possibly can be, to meet this major crisis head on. You know, I'm certain that right now, if I asked all of the husbands here in the room, if I asked you to raise your hand in answer to the question, who will stand by their wife faithfully if your wife was stricken with a terminal disease, I'm going to imagine that every single one of us, we know what the right answer is. We're going to raise our head and we're going to nod our head affirmatively. Yep, I will do that. If my wife is sick, I will sacrifice for her and do for her and stand by her through that whole thing. But if I ask the question, how many of you have sacrificed for your wife in the last seven days? I wonder how many of us would be able to keep our hand raised then. You see, you have to begin small, don't you? And gentlemen, can I just remind us here that this idea of sacrificing and serving 
That this is what we are called to do as men in marriage? We've read those verses a dozen times this year from Ephesians chapter 5. I'll not ask you to turn over there. But you remember them, don't you? Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and did what? And gave Himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25. Just as Jesus sacrificed on our behalf for our benefit with our best interest in mind, men... We are called to follow His example in our marriage as we serve and as we sacrifice for our wives. You know, it's pretty easy to stand up here and to call out Pat Robertson for failing to preach, Matthew 19 verse 9. But I wonder sometimes if we have erred just as badly for failing to practice Ephesians 5.25. And I certainly don't mean or intend to leave the ladies out here in marriage We're all called to serve. Whether you're a man or a woman, we are to serve our mate. But as I read this week about a man who was dealing with a wife who was afflicted with Alzheimer's and how he was standing beside her faithfully through that entire ordeal, the doctor, the oncologist, was absolutely shocked that this husband was so devoted and so committed to his wife throughout that ordeal. And so the husband had to ask the doctor, he said, Doc, well... Well, why are you so surprised about that? To which the doctor replied, Almost all women stand by their husbands, but very few men stand by their wives. Gentlemen, would that be true of you? Could that be true of me? If the storm of cancer or the storm of a debilitating car accident were to strike our marriage, would we be more apt to renege on those vows that we made on our wedding day? Because in all of the days since we said, I do, we haven't actually been showing ourselves faithful in little things. And now that this gigantic storm is here, it's too late. It's too late now to develop the kind of fortitude that's necessary to remain committed through the big challenges of life. What kind of little things, what small acts of service are we stitching together now so that our marriage will be unbreakable later? You just stop and think about it. I don't think this is a pipe dream. That if we just make a lifelong habit of serving our mate, isn't it possible that if Alzheimer's or some other terrible illness should come, that we wouldn't even know how to stop doing what we've always been doing. I don't know everything about that man who submitted that question to Pat Robertson about his Alzheimer's afflicted wife. And I am sure that he is terribly frustrated by the havoc that that disease has wreaked in his life. But it seems to me as if the question was tinged with some degree of selfishness. That to that man, marriage was about about getting something. And since he wasn't getting what he wants from that relationship anymore, he was looking for an out so that he could find himself another woman so that he could get what he wants. I can only conclude that that man never made the kinds of small daily sacrifices that are necessary in order for a marriage to survive a severe test. Let's not fool ourselves 
and say to ourselves, oh, I'd do better than that guy did if we're not doing better right now. That has to start now. Which means then thirdly and finally this evening, what we need to be doing is we need to be praying for the strength to refuse what is easy and refuse what is convenient and refuse what is comfortable if those things would oppose the Word of God. I'm thinking here, for example, about Paul in Acts chapter 26. Would you look with me in Acts 26? As Paul is standing before Festus and Agrippa and he is about to give his defense, stop and think for a moment about who Paul is and think about what's going on here. You know, once upon a time, Paul was on the fast track to being one of the most prominent Jews, to being the leader of the Pharisees, to being a general in the army against the cause of Christ. But now here in Acts chapter 26, he is a prisoner for the cause of Christ. What's it like for the one who used to command people to prison to now find himself in prison? What's it like when you want to write a letter to your dear friends and loved ones and the chains that you are wearing 24 hours a day, 7 days a week are getting in the way of your handwriting? What's it like to physically be wasting away in jail while Roman bureaucrats procrastinate and put off and you can't go and preach the gospel and go to the places that you want to go to do what needs to be done. What's that like? Paul comes and he is finally brought before the governor Felix, or excuse me, the governor Festus and the king Agrippa. And all Paul has to say in that moment, the only thing he has to say is, hey, this is all a mistake. It is. It's a big mistake. I don't really believe in this Jesus stuff. I mean, come on. A man raised from the dead? Pfft, that's nonsense. Just let me go. I'm a good, law-abiding Jew. Let me go out of here and I'll give you the names of all these Christ followers. You can hunt all them down and you can do with them what you need to do. That's all Paul has to say. And he will be a free man. You know, Paul had connections with all kinds of high-ranking, influential people. Men of very high standing. All Paul has to say here is say, I'm out. I'm done with this Christianity thing. And he'll have his freedom. But I want you to look at what Paul says to these men. These men who have actually given him every opportunity to take the easy way out. Festus, Felix before him, Agrippa, they're looking for every chance to get rid of Paul, to get him out of prison. And yet look at what Paul says in Acts 26 and in verse 25. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner, King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Look at Paul here. He's not backing down. He's not taking the easy way. He's trying to convert this guy. Verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, verse 29, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, a Christian, except for these chains. 
Do you see how Paul refuses to give in to what was easy, what was convenient, what was comfortable? Paul does not say, boy, I tell you what, I need to be happy so so I think God will understand if I take the easy way. No! No, this was hard and it was very difficult. But Paul seized upon this moment, this opportunity to show everyone that what he said, it wasn't just words. It was conviction. It was genuine. It was sincere. It was authentic. Isn't that what we would like the world to see in us? Wouldn't we like to be able to show the world that we have genuine convictions That we don't just say things. No, we actually walk the talk. And particularly, wouldn't we like to be able to show that and demonstrate that to the world in our marriages? Marriage, after all, in our society today has become, well, it's become mostly a joke. All around us we see rampant adultery, people shacking up before marriage and or in lieu of marriage. We see broken homes, people just divorcing for any reason whatsoever. Today it seems like the only people who really, really want to get married are homosexuals. Meanwhile, heterosexuals are trying to find every way that they possibly can to get out of marriage. Don't we wish that we could show people a better way? Certainly we could, we could preach to them. We could go to them with the Bible and we could tell them, hey, this is what the Bible says, you need to do what the Bible says, but how about we just start living that in our own home? How about we show the depth of love and commitment that marriage calls for by being people who refuse to take the easy way and instead we are the people who will weather the difficulties and the storms of life and we're going to do that side by side with the person that we promised to walk this life with and to make this journey with till the end of life. You stop and think about it. Paul, in Ephesians 5, he compares the marriage relationship to Christ's relationship to the church. Can we even begin to imagine Jesus just giving up on his bride because his bride was taken up with some awful illness? Can we imagine Jesus saying, forget this, this is too much, I'm out of here, I'm not doing this? Absolutely not. How then can you and I not seize the opportunity that adversity affords to us to show the world that we genuinely live what we claim to believe? And that God would provide us the strength and the courage and the fortitude to cope and to overcome any of the trials that we face together as husband and wife. I'm certainly not saying, I'm certainly not advocating this evening that somehow and in some way we need to pray for or we need to gladly invite terrible diseases into our lives like Alzheimer's or otherwise. But when the challenges of physical health do come, And they will, if we live long enough, we will experience those challenges. Does that not give us an incredible opportunity to preach, not just with our words, but to preach with our lives what perseverance and commitment are all about? I read recently about a man who was heading to the nursing home to visit his wife who was an Alzheimer's patient. 
And he was going to brush her hair as he had done every morning ever since being admitted to the nursing home nearly 10 years ago. This couple had been married for more than 50 years and now for nearly a decade the wife did not recognize her husband. Someone ended up saying to that man, they said, why do you keep coming every day? She doesn't even know who you are. To which that man replied, but I know. I know who she is. I am sorry that Pat Robertson spouted off his foolish drivel. And I am even more sorry that there are people who listen to him and his unbiblical ideas about marriage. But I must tell you that I rejoice in good people like this who say, I know who she is. People who have overcome such shallow thinking of this world. People who seize the opportunity to become a living sacrifice for their spouse and for the glory of Almighty God. And so I would conclude this evening by saying that no, sickness and disease, it does not have to destroy and wreck your marriage. But if you do intend to weather that challenge and that storm, then husbands and wives, we need to start preparing now. And you know what? If it took the foolish remarks of a loose-lipped televangelist to get us to do that, then Pat Robertson has actually done all of us a favor. May God help us to have the kind of love for our spouse that bears all things and endures all things to have the kind of love that never fails. Would you pray with me? Let's go to God in prayer. Our dear gracious God, our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you this evening thanking you for the blessing and the gift of marriage. And Father, we come before you as well this evening thanking you for the opportunities that even the challenges and the trials of marriage, the opportunities that they afford us to bring glory to you and to strengthen our walk with you. Father, we come recognizing that there are many challenges that we will face in this life. And Father, we come acknowledging as well that there are challenges of physical health and physical pain that we will endure if we live long enough. And Father, we're praying this evening that you would grant us not only the, the courage to, to withstand those storms, but Father, help us to have the conviction that we would recognize that divorce is not an option. Giving up on our mate, it is not on the table. Help us to realize, Father, just what a blessing and privilege it is to be able to serve one another, to be able to assist one another, to prepare ourselves now so that we're ready to be a living sacrifice when those storms come. And Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for his willingness to come to this earth and to author and to pattern for us what it means to serve and to love someone else and to show us how that's done. Help us, Father, that we might seize upon the opportunities to not do the easy thing, but instead to do the hard thing, because we know you've given us the ability to do hard things through your Son, Jesus. 
Father, we thank You and we love You for all that You do for us. We pray that You would be with us throughout our lives. Help us and strengthen us as husbands and as wives and help us to be more of what You want us to be. Father, we do pray at this time especially for those who are suffering, those who do have a mate who is enduring physical uh, illnesses of the body and they need Your special care. Be not only with them, Father, but be with their caregivers. Help us, Father, to be drawn closer to one another through our love and our mutual desire to serve You and to be with You forever. We praise You and we love You and we look forward to being with You in eternity in heaven someday. We ask all these blessings and these favors through the name of our, our dear husband, Jesus the Christ. And amen.